Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, friends. Welcome to Pastors of Pain. I'm Father Brian O'Brien, pastor of St. Francis Xavier Catholic Church here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And we are so glad that you are with us. The weather is nice. The football team, as of this recording, is 3-0 and and ranked. Uh, so anyway, all is right in Stillwater, I guess, if you include those two things. But anyway... The, uh, the other great thing is that uh, in, the, in the Catholic world, we are ready to uh, welcome a bunch of Afghans to Stillwater. That may be a whole other episode. But today, I'm joined for the second time, not by Father Kerry, but by Deacon Tom Cabine. Deacon Tom, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So Deacon Tom was on the show back in, uh, I think it was late May. And he shared his story of uh, his conversion. He was you know, grew up in the in the Jehovah's Witnesses, and then became a Catholic. And then that's where it that's where we ended. Uh, there's it right. was we like it was like a cliffhanger. And actually, there were several people that wrote in, several of you who listened and said, "Well, when's he coming back? Like he's got to we got to finish <laughs> we got to finish the story." Um, so if, so I would recommend going back and listening to that. So it was kind of late May. Um, and hearing Deacon Tom's conversion story, which has been told kind of in many different places. So just recently, tell us. So you were on EWTN back in whatever, back 2015, in, uh, two, I think no, it was. 2008. Or, oh, my I gosh. Was, yes, a long, long way time off. ago. So that was before you were a deacon. You had recently converted. Before I converted. was a deacon. In fact, I was a recent convert. I'd have been a Catholic for only about two years at Oh, that my time. gosh. Wow. So that's so you can Google that. EWTN, uh, the show is called The Journey Home. And That's you can right. look up Tom Cabine. But then recently you were on a podcast. Tell us about that. It was in August. It was in late August. national uh, thing. One of my friends who is uh, came from the same parish where I came from before I moved to Stillwater in uh, Milford, Connecticut, has a podcast called Catholic Truth. His name is Brian Mercier, and he is an apologist. And he takes on all different kinds of uh, objections to the Catholic faith or other groups that uh, have various positions with regard to the Catholic uh, faith. And he asked me to come on and make a podcast and a video with him. We did that late in August. And about a week later, he said, what's going on, Tom? You've got 25,000 views already. Wow. Praise God, that's beautiful. Close to 45,000 views now at this point. I didn't check it in the last few days, but we were at almost 44 last week. And so then you, when you do something like that, I mean, our podcast compared to that is, you know, small, small pickings, small time. But when you did the EWTN show, when you did this Catholic Truth National podcast, and then you like, you like hear from people. I do. So you don't, you don't have like an official you know, no, ministry. I, don't. I really don't. I don't people, have a web page. I don't have any find kind of. You. <laughs> they do, and I don't really know how they do it. But and who are they? Like who who hears that story and then reaches out to you for well, guidance? I've had a number of people call, and a lot a, number, a lot of people find me online. Uh, there's really quite a bit of information in the tiny little world of former Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm fairly well known, so it's not hard to find me if you just type in Tom Cabine into Google search. Sure, sure. And you'll find a lot of things that w- would lead you to to me. Many of them responded to the YouTube video, yep. you know, the comments in there. 
Uh, I got several uh, emails or phone calls from people, and uh, I've talked with them. I'm talking with about five different people now, one from Australia, one from Mexico, one from Ireland, one from about three from the United States. Wow. And they're interested in uh, becoming Catholics, or at least they're interested in why a former Jehovah's Witness would become a sure, Catholic. Sure, The great thing about the Catholic Church, which I've been doing this for many, many years, help, trying to help people leave the witnesses, but the problem is I never had any place to send them. Now, before you were a Catholic, before I was yeah. a Catholic, because you I would you say were you were very you were still very much basically yeah searching. I was searching as for well for a home, and I had actually found a home for a while, and then uh, it turned out that that wasn't really going to be my final home. And you I, shared that last and I time, that kind last of going time. from mm-hmm. witnesses to the to, to a the Baptist, evangelical Baptist evangelical church to, to Episcopalian. the Episcopalian, and then and then as an Episcopal. In an Episcopal church, I discovered the Catholic catechism. Yeah, and, and liturgies. I remember you saying that. And the liturgy. Yeah. And I had had uh, many. I had I had given a class in the history of the church when I was in the Baptist church, and I had read a lot of the early church fathers, but I I sort of thought that that faith just disappeared. I didn't yeah. know it was still around, and I didn't never entered my mind to look at the Catholic Church to see if it was there. So anyway, I think we kind of left off the last time I would I had entered the Catholic Church. Yeah, you had Church, become a Catholic. And, but my appetite was whetted for learning, and I learned so many things. I was like You're a, a, reader. a kid in a candy store you are. <laughs> when I became a and Catholic. And still to this day, I mean, you... No, you I am. I love... Yeah. I love to find out about the world around me. I really do. I want to know what is true and what I define by truth. What is truth? Yeah. What, what, when my idea of the world around corresponds to what's actually there. And what that means is you have to have your mind open and you have to know where to get good information, reliable information. And that had been one of my big problems. When I became a Catholic, I found a source of information that was reliable, it had been around for a long time, and it and it had stood the test of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That way I knew that it wasn't just something that somebody had come up with. As a Jehovah's Witness, I had always been taught that philosophy was just men's ideas, just something that somebody had pulled out of their head and and taught as if it were true. Mm-hmm. But I found out that philosophy was not like that, that philosophy was a, a love of wisdom which moved ancient people to search for what the world was really like. And unlike science, which confines itself to that which can be empiric, empirically tested in a laboratory and th- having to do with the physical world, Philosophy takes on those things that are not physical, things that are metaphysical, or mm. in Aristotle's words, beyond physics, that is ideas like truth and beauty and goodness and justice and things like that can be taken on in the world of philosophy. Now, I always believed that the Catholic Church had started out in this, in, as 
in a Jewish environment, which it did. Sure. And the the uh, church that we read about in the in the New Testament is very closely tied to the Old Testament, the Jewish world. And I thought that the second and third century Christians who wrote, who relied very heavily on Greek philosophy, that this was represented a corruption of the faith. I didn't realize at the time that it didn't, it did no such thing. Yeah, there's a unity there. And not only is it a unity, but when, when the uh, preaching of the gospel expanded beyond the world of Jews and people who associated with Jews, like the Ethiopian eunuch or Cornelius. Yeah, from Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. Right, from the in, uh, described in the Acts of the Apostles. These guys had been coming to Jewish synagogues. They were called God-fearing men by the Jews. But once you got outside of that world, the Bible had no authority for people. So you had to approach them in a different way on a source of authority, using a source of authority that they would recognize and they would respect. And you see that uh, in chapter, uh, is it 20 of Acts, where, or uh, maybe 16, where Paul, St. Paul talks to the people in Athens. Um, he talks to them appealing to the Greek poets. He doesn't appeal to the Hebrew scriptures like he does when he talks to people in other places, because that would be something that they would recognize as, a, as, as an authoritative source. Is it 17? Maybe I believe it's 17. 17. Yes, Paul in the Areopagus. In the Areopagus. Yeah. That's yep. right. Yep. So this expanded my mind, and I realized I was quite surprised to see that the early Christians viewed that, that anyone who went searching for what is true, because we're all God's children, yep. God would reveal yep. it to them. Yep. He didn't hide it and give it only to the Jews. But Greeks too yeah, could find truth. Kind of that Gnosticism truth. that there's this special right. group of people that have this certain kind of knowledge and only they get it. And if you're lucky, they'll tell you about it. Right. That, that God's truth is available to everyone. To anyone who searches for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's almost what we would have to have if Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. If he but loves only for us this all. really small group of people. Right, no, exactly. No, no, no. It's for everybody. Yeah. So that, that changed my whole perspective, and that's what sort of led me into the, into the uh, Catholic faith. Wow. I was – I became sort of obsessed with learning as much as I could about every discipline because I felt like I'd been left out. I'd never even You had to attempted. make up for lost time. Right, I really did. <laughs> and as I did, I found within the Catholic faith a – a treasure house of wonderful teachings that explained the faith, the Catholic faith, but also the whole world around me. Because again, if God created the whole world, everything has to fit together. And particularly in the teachings of Thomas Aquinas, faith and reason fit together like mm. a glove. So Thomas Aquinas, 13th century Dominican. That's correct. Prolific. And, and one of the great still read widely today exactly heavily influential in the church today exactly and i had become a, a student of a, <laughs> the writings of a man named uh, mortimer adler mm. mortimer adler yeah. was a famous 20th century uh, philosopher 
worked in the philosophy department at Columbia University and University of Chicago and the founder of the Great Books Program. And, and later he became the general editor of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. So here's a guy who knows a lot about a lot of things yeah. and was capable of putting all these things together. He was so impressed with Thomas Aquinas that he became a Christian. He had been an, an atheist, he was mm. Jewish, and he died a Catholic. And, God. and when I saw this story and, the, and so many others that were so uh, – I mean, conversion stories are such a powerful way to learn about something that you don't know anything about. And conversion stories like uh, G.K. Chesterton, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, People, I mean, even Augustine in his Confessions. Oh yeah, was, fourth is, century is a, is yeah. a great yeah. conversion story. Uh, John Henry Newman, and then many, many contemporary twentieth-century conversion stories. Sure. And so, as I read these, I learned more and more about it. Now, I'm getting into the. I'm in the church now. I'm I'm learning, and I I want to expand my understanding of the truth, and so. I have, um, my son is in graduate school and he is a, a, a pal with this gentleman who is in his college, uh, Saybrook College in his school. And he went, just go running with him and we would have lunch together. Well, we found out when we became Catholics that this man was a Catholic bishop and he was a good friend of Matt's and, and he and I became good friends and he suggested to me that I think about becoming a deacon. And I, I really had, I was, I think I explained in my last podcast that what drew me to the church more than anything else was Jesus' statement in John chapter six about the bread of life. Yeah. That Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Pretty definitive. And I became convinced that throughout the centuries, this had meant that, that the Christians understood this to mean that you actually had to take Jesus' flesh and blood. And that came from a church whose priests were in apostolic succession, that it, it was more than just believing that it's the body and blood of Christ. It became the body and, and yeah. blood of Christ because it was transformed, that it was confected yep. by someone who had been given the authority to confect it. Yeah, not just anybody. It couldn't says, be just anybody. Yep. It had to be someone who was in who had been ordained by someone in, in succession from the apostles. It was passed down by physical contact. Amazing. The laying on it, of again, hands. Yes, yep. exactly. And, and when I was, so I began to think about becoming a deacon. I didn't come to the church to be a deacon, but I have been involved in ministry all my life. And I began, I, I thought I was in my late fifties at that time and I'm kind of getting too old to do this. So, I, I th thought, well, I will find out about it. I went to an informational meeting and I put in an application. I thought, if it's God's will that I do this, I, let it be done let unto it be me. Done. Exactly. According to your will. Yeah. Exactly. So 
I was accepted into the class. And then we went through a, a year of aspirancy in which you discern whether you really have the call for this. Mm. One thing I was quite impressed with, I had been asked a few times to be a deacon in the evangelical Protestant churches. And it was basically the pastor coming to my house and saying, hey, would you like to be a deacon? Kind of like, would you like to mow my lawn? Yeah. It, there was no real... Not a lot of, like, no formation. There was no formation, but I was impressed and um, greatly impressed by how seriously the Catholic Church takes all of this. It takes many years, and we go through point after point after point. Before we're ordained, we go through the training, and, and believe it or not, this is one of the things that impressed me almost the most, was at the very beginning because of the church's recognition of the sanctity of marriage, the first thing that happens is your wife has to say yes. So, yeah, this is not a, I'm going to do this on the side right. and I don't care what my wife says. It's a, They respect the, the, the relationship between husband and wife. Yeah, marriage is your... Yeah, and your and marriage is my first vocation. vocation. So we went through the, I went through the process. I was made a, a lector an acolyte. Yeah, kind of steps along steps the way. Steps along the yep. way. And each one of these steps had had really serious words said, the right is serious, and we and we move on because they took every step of this so that even though as a deacon, it isn't like I have great authority in the church, I'm allowed to read the gospel. you're a cleric. I mean, you're a... That's right. It's in the hierarchy, right? Bishops, priests, and deacons. That's right. It's ancient. Yeah. It's ancient, but it's taken very seriously. And that's the beautiful thing, that that in the Catholic Church, even reading the gospel at the Sunday Mass is considered to be something only to be done by someone who's truly had formation. By a deacon or a priest. By a deacon or or a priest. Yeah. Well, let me back up a little bit. So, so just a little bit about the about the what we would call the the ministry of deacon, the the uh, the diaconate. Um, so, just so let me point to sort of two sources. One is from the Acts of the Apostles. So, this is not again not something we sort of made up, right? This is this is very. So, this is Acts of the Apostles, chapter six, and it says at that time, as the number of disciples continued to grow, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the twelve called together the community of the disciples and said, It is not right for us to neglect the word of God to serve at table. Brothers, select from among you seven reputable men filled with the spirit and wisdom whom we shall appoint to this task, whereas we shall devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the twelve were those first apostles. I mean, the the apostles were, were priests, priests and bishops. And they recognized, oh man, we can't cover all this ground ourselves. And so let's have the priests dedicated mostly to uh, prayer and to the teaching of the, of the word. But then we, but we have all these people in need. And so let's, you know, so let, let's, let's start something new. The proposal was acceptable to the whole community. So they chose Stephen, a man filled with faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nick, Nick and her, uh, Nick and her, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. 
the word of God continued to spread, and the number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly. Even a large group of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So those were the, the first the first deacons, those those original seven, that, Acts of the Apostles chapter six. That's right. And the and the deacons, the word deacon comes from the, the Greek word diakonos, which is just meant a house servant. Yeah. Someone who who serves. Who, who serves. That's what that's what service is all about. And that's why being a deacon is not uh, uh, for people who are looking for adulation or recognition. It's really an opportunity, an ordination to serve others. Because yeah. Jesus himself Beautiful. said, I you call me God, you call me Lord, and rightly so, because I am. But he says, I'm here among you as a servant. And on another occasion, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. To serve and that yeah. changes our whole perspective that to be great in the kingdom of heaven, we have to serve others. And the diaconate gives a lot of opportunities to do that. Uh, again, I say, if you're looking for recognition and praise, don't go for the choose diaconate. Some, choose something else. So, you know, in our, where, how this plays out here in Stillwater, you know, we have, we're blessed, we're very blessed with four deacons. Deacon Tom is one, Deacon Paul Govek, Deacon Barbara Shears, Deacon Glenn Collum. And each of you bring different, different gifts. You know, I mean, I think we talked about last time, you know, your, your ability to speak Spanish, you're, you know, you're a good preacher and teacher. Um, but each one, you know, I think of like Deacon Glenn who does, um, when, you know, pre-COVID, uh, did a lot of like a lot of prison ministry, but I also know that all four of you are you know visiting people in their in their homes and nursing homes, um, counseling. You know, you guys run our ba- baptism class, help with marriage preparation. Uh, you know, and then certainly on Sundays, preaching, uh, the setup and takedown of of mass, uh, blessing people, uh, baptizing. So I mean, all of these kind of tasks. That are, um, and then of course, ser- you know, service to the poor, um, reaching out right. to those in that's need right. when people come and need counsel, need resources. Um, that's what deacons do, and it's just so. Uh, I mean, it, for me, I don't. We we I think we'd be in big trouble without the four of you, and and all that you do. So often behind the scenes, stuff people never see. Mm-hmm. But it's so 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 important to the life of the parish. Well, I'm I consider it an enormous honor to serve with these other men. They they are they are wonderful, and all of them have been Catholics a lot longer than I have. Uh, but I what's interesting? I, I three of the four of you are converts. It is interesting. Bart, Glenn, and you. See, we're increasing the numbers. In in Acts, there was only one who was a convert. <laughs> And here, 75% of our deacons are, are converts to Catholicism. And Paul Govek has yeah, been a Catholic his whole life growing up in Wisconsin. So I think that, I mean, that's an interesting little yes, it is. thing right there. It is. In fact, I think right now in the church, converts are doing a tremendous ministry in terms of, of helping others because we can talk to non-Catholics in a way that Catholics cannot. Now, I have a particular ministry toward former Jehovah's Witnesses. But, and I'm very well qualified to do that because Jehovah's Witnesses 
are are largely misunderstood sure by just about everybody i had i mean before i met you you're you're like the first i mean yeah i had not had a lot of interaction you've taught me a tremendous amount and they believe such weird things that sorry uh, but there it is uh, that it's hard for somebody who was raised a catholic even to understand the mentality behind it yeah Uh, but i've been able to help oh probably two three dozen former witnesses to become Catholics and they're Amazing. good Catholics Amazing. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I wow, really appreciate amazing. this ministry and I appreciate the opportunities that I have here. I meet on Tuesdays with a group of men. I believe that this is a great need in the church right now. And that is for men to feel more comfortable sharing their faith and becoming strong within the context of a church, uh, the church family, for some reason, many men feel like it's kind of not a manly thing that church is for the women. Right. But we have a group of very strong and spiritual men in this community and we're trying to grow it and we're trying to get them to think about the, the diaconate as yeah. well. So we have a um, uh, an informational meeting coming up. So th- in the Diocese of Tulsa, so we're in the Diocese of Tulsa, um, we have... I don't know, probably 60, 70 men who, who are deacons already, four of them who serve here in Stillwater. But there's always the need, similar to the priesthood, to replenish those vocations. Deacons get older, deacons retire, deacons die. And so who is that next generation of deacons who will come in and serve? So we're actually going to have an informational meeting here in Stillwater uh, on Saturday, January, excuse me, Saturday, October 24th. Uh, at 6 o'clock at, at the rectory. So Father Robert and I are going to host, and the deacons will be there. Um, and what we're looking for, it, it's it's just people, any man in the parish who's interested in learning more. Coming to the meeting doesn't make you a deacon. <laughs> Coming to the meeting, right, it's a <laughs> sure formation doesn't. process over, over multiple years. But it's just a chance to get any questions answered. We also want spouses to come. So if you have a spouse, um, they they ought to come if they're able to come because, as you said earlier, you know, it involves, it's not just the, the man making the decision, but if he has a spouse, she has to be involved. Could you just talk about that? We just have a couple minutes, but how, when you're, when you and Gloria sat down, what was that like? We talked about what it's like to be in service. Of course, I had been, as I say, in ministry for most of my life. Uh, in my past, I had, I think, gotten too involved in it, this is always something that you have in in other contexts besides the Catholic context that you're made to feel like you need to do things even if uh, they shortchange your wife and family. We talked about what was involved and we thought about it and prayed about it. And that's a very important part of the whole process is praying about it and thinking about it, discerning. And so my wife is very much on board at the same time. She's not a deacon, so she yep. doesn't feel like she has to be involved in everything that I'm involved sure. in. But but she understands that there's times when I need to do things, and so we've settled into a very comfortable relationship with, with regard to how this works. And it's different for every deacon because – Marriage relationship. Well, and what are, are your yeah, and what are your family commitments, work commitments? So I think a lot of I think a lot of guys, um, it, it's it's I think it's harder when your kids are younger, because in our in our formation program here in the diocese of Tulsa, the it's 
it's one weekend a month, almost like the National Guard, right? <laughs> one weekend a month for, for I don't know what it's going to look like this time, but for like for five years. And so, you know, are you in a position kind of financially, family-wise, work-wise, other commitments in the community? Are you in a position to do that? And so for some, yeah, they're at a time of life, kind of a season of life where, yeah, there is that available time. I think guys with younger kids, it, they do it. I mean, that we have we have deacons that have young kids, but that's a conversation. What you don't want is sort of resentment in your marriage and choosing the diaconate over not. your wife. And so Absolutely that's where not. this discernment comes in. That's so important. Anyway, so this this meeting that's coming up on the on the twenty fourth will just be a kind of a starting process of that. And then for those who wish to go forward, there'll be uh, there's an application process kind of this aspirancy year that you talked about, because it's kind of a two-sided thing too. It's not just, I want to be a deacon and therefore I get to become a deacon. Um, it's similar to marriage. You, you, don't, you did not walk up to your wife and say, you will be my wife. She, she has to say, I want to be your husband. You know, So the same thing happens in the diaconate. It's, it's the diocese saying, we choose you, and you saying to the diocese, I choose you. Two-way street. And one thing to know, they are going to do a complete background check with the recent history of the church. They're going to look at everything to make sure that you don't have any anything that would psychological evaluation. Psychological evaluation, and then you're going to be asked to poked and prodded study uh, very seriously. We went through the entire catechism and talked about it. Yep, philosophy, but, theology. But what a wonderful opportunity it is to truly learn the faith. So I strongly recommend any man who might have that life opportunity to do that. Great. I would just, uh, for further reading, so Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, and then in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 56, excuse me, 1569, 1570, 1571, speak specifically to uh, the ministry of the deacon. That's our time. Deacon Tom, thank you. Thank you so much for, for the invitation. For being on the show. And if you have any questions, give us a call. Pray for us. We're praying for you. Thanks for listening. God bless. Have a great week.